could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber. Alongside me is Logan Camden, and we come to you all today off of a pretty wild week of NFL football. Some real contenders showed some real flaws, and we will talk about that in today's show. But let's start, Logan, with some teams that aren't quite in that good of a position, that have slightly bigger problems that start with the quarterback position. There are a few teams who are probably going to be making some big decisions after this season, so let's talk about some of them right now. Are Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Sam Darnold their long-term, their team's long-term options at quarterback? Let's go one by one down the list. So starting with Baker Mayfield, no, I don't think he's the long-term option for the Cleveland Browns, but for the upcoming few seasons, I think he has to be. You don't invest the number one pick in a guy that you're just going to give up on. But as I'm going to make a case for Sam Darnold here down the line, maybe that will actually happen. But uh, because the Browns are actually in decent contention to make the playoffs this season, could end up with that seventh wild card spot, um, the third wild card spot, excuse me, the seventh seed. The Browns will end up with probably a middle-of-the-pack pick, which would leave them opportunities to draft a Kyle Trask, maybe a um, the kid from BYU. I'm spacing on his name right now, but uh, Zach Wilson, excuse me. But uh, for this season, I don't think they make a change. I think they stick with old uh, Tim Couch Jr. and Baker Mayfield for the next few seasons at least. So let me ask you then, if they don't think he's the guy, why wouldn't they act sooner? I just don't think this is a... I don't think the first round is going to be deep enough just because you're going to have Fields and Lawrence go in the top 10. You're likely going to have another quarterback go in the middle ranges. I just don't like the depth outside of Fields, Trey Lance, and Trevor Lawrence. So maybe an option in free agency, but we've seen over the past few seasons investing in free agency isn't traditionally the right move with giving a whole lot of money out to a guy like Kirk Cousins. I just think they'd rather stick it out with a guy like Baker Mayfield and see what happens, I guess. So I'm going to take the opposite side of this case and say that he is their long-term option. Now, he's not a franchise quarterback in the traditional sense, so maybe if you are really giving him a few years, maybe they will move on from him at some point. But as far as make-or-break decision time after this season, I think you got to stick with him because he's certainly not perfect, and he has some real flaws, and he's not necessarily brilliant jaw-dropping to watch as far as an an insane arm talent. He's not brilliant going through his progressions. And he could definitely cut down on turnovers, although he already has when you compare to what he did last year with the 21 interceptions. But he's been fine. 15 touchdowns to 7 interceptions, had an awesome performance a couple weeks ago, has had definitely some shaky performances. And the 189 yards per game to me is sort of a telling stat because obviously that is far below the norm in the modern NFL. But I think that it sort of shows a role that he can fill at a decently high level as a play-action Almost game-managing quarterback, I think he's perfectly competent, and he's not going to kill you most nights. Now, you have to be fairly confident in the rest of your roster to go out there and establish the way you want to play football, which I think the Browns have done in basically every one of their wins with the run game, where they have just destroyed teams in that respect, they've gone up early, and then Baker can sort of just guide them to the finish. And there's really been one performance where he went above and beyond that with the five passing touchdowns, but outside of that, he hasn't lived up to that superstar first overall pick, Bill. But I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing. Now, there is obviously an abundance of quarterback talent in the league right now, and it is a position that just seems to get better and better by the day. We have more unicorn-type guys who are mobile and can also throw the ball 50 yards on a dot. Seems like those guys appear more and more every day, and Baker is not one of those guys. But for their currently composed roster, 
And it would be nice if they were a little better defensively because then I would feel better about them as a team as a whole. But offensively, I think he's fine for doing what they need him to. He's capable of throwing the underneath stuff to a guy like OBJ or a guy like Jarvis who are so great after the catch. And he's going to benefit from the threat of the run at all times, which opens up so much with that play action. So it's dependent on Chubb and Hunt in this old line to make him successful. But I think that those units are good enough to where that is probably going to be the case for some time. So with you taking the other side of that, if the Cleveland Browns make the playoffs this season, how long do they keep Baker Mayfield around? Well, I think that they continue to invest in him. I think that he's the guy. And I don't want to, you know, put my finger down and say that he is going to be a star and that he's perfect and that he's not replaceable. But if you make the playoffs, I think that it shows you that the formula is working. And I think that there are more glaring issues to be addressed with this team. Like maybe you try to upgrade this linebacking core and maybe you try to, you know, maybe make some changes with your coaching staff as far as this defense. Cause I think that they need to be a better unit as a whole. And Baker is not what's fully holding them back to me because they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender with or without him unless you insert Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes in here maybe because of the offensive talent they have. So I'd hold on to the guy who's just okay. And if you fall into some lucky circumstances or if you think that you really need to move on from him to unlock some ceiling that he doesn't allow you to have, then go ahead and do it. But it's certainly not after this year. I think that he's the guy for the foreseeable future. Let's talk about another guy who is in a different situation. Not the first overall pick, but was also deeply invested in by his team, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he the guy for the future for them? Uh, I'm going to go with no. And as for the 49ers this season, they've got a pretty brutal back half of the season without Jimmy G under center. They've got the Saints this week. They've got the Rams, Bills, Cardinals, and Seahawks all coming up. They do have a couple weeks off against the Washington football team and a team in New York, but I think with how the schedule plays out, they could very well end up at 6-10. and 10. That leaves them between the 8th and 12th pick. In that scenario, if the 49ers want out on Jimmy Garoppolo, they can kick that escape clause in and just straight up cut him. They don't have to pay him anything. He's just done. In that scenario, if Trey Lance is available at some point, I think you've got to pull the trigger if you're San Francisco, not only because it's an easy fit. They've got a ready-to-play offensive line. They've got a dominant defense that is fully healthy, is Super Bowl caliber. And if you still have faith in Jimmy G, I don't blame you, but his numbers this season are not attractive. Seven touchdowns to five interceptions. He's the 21st-ranked quarterback by Football Outsiders this season. He's 29th-ranked by Pro Football Focus. I think just with where this team is, I think Jimmy Garoppolo handcuffs them. He holds them back a little much just because he's a... I compare him to Baker Mayfield in a lot of ways. He's just a play-action guy that when the running game is going can give you a lot of dynamicism in this offense. But again, it's still predicated on that running game. When If you can get a more dynamic quarterback like a Trey Lance, take him. Cut your losses with Jimmy G. Let him go. Take Trey Lance. I completely agree with that roadmap to the to the T's and I's. I would even take Trey Lance in this draft because I think that he's going to be available in the range that they are picking. But I think there's a number of reasons that you want to move on from Jimmy. And I don't want to overreact to what we've seen from him on the field this year, which has been really bad. Some poor decision making. Just seems like he's struggling to get zip on his throws. And I think maybe we can attribute that to the injuries that he has been going through. So maybe he wasn't 100% out there in the Dolphins game or in the Seahawks game when he got benched for Mr. Mullins. But that was also due to injury. But I think that that is telling of the story of his career. He's played more than six games, Logan, in one season. Now, maybe he breaks that this year. He is on the IR currently, but that does not mean what it used to because that's only three weeks. But we don't know when he's coming back. 
and he's been your starter for four years. He's played 30 games. So the question then becomes, is he a replaceable quarterback? Absolutely. He started two seasons worth of games in his career. His averages are 4,000 yards, 25 and a half touchdowns to 13 interceptions. He's a solid quarterback. He does not make many throws that other people can't make. He turns the ball over at a pretty average clip, I would say. So he's totally replaceable. And you have a roster to me that is coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, and it is not out of the realm of possibility for them to get back to that level or at least being a really good playoff team. And if you can save $25.5 million by cutting him over each of the next two years, because they owe him, as you say, nothing in base salary, nothing. It's only small bonuses that they front-loaded on this contract. So there is really no cost to cutting him as far as dead cap then I don't know why you wouldn't do that because then you can continue to invest in the strengths of your roster and it sucks that they weren't able to do this sooner because they already had to lose a guy like DeForest Buckner when I think we've seen the impact of that loss. But you still have some big expiring contracts coming up like a Trent Williams and you want to keep this core together because we have seen the formula work where great all-around roster plus quarterback on a rookie deal can make for a really elite team. Now, I'm not going to compare this squad to the Legion of Boom Seahawks, Just and I'm not going to compare Trey Lance to Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson wasn't exceptional, and this is a defense that was historically great last season. It's the reason they were propelled to the Super Bowl, and they don't need that much out of the quarterback position because they are so dominant in the zone run game. They don't even need to invest in any running backs because you can throw any fast guy in there to do it. Shanahan and the defense is what makes this machine go. Jimmy G is completely replaceable, so... I think that you could actually do some wild things with Trey Lance because of his mobility and pure arm talent, and I'd be interested in seeing how Shanahan actually might use him, but you have more cap flexibility. Maybe you want to bring in a decent veteran guy in free agency, like maybe a Jacoby Brissett. Personally, I don't want to pay anyone 10 plus million at the quarterback position or whatever he would probably demand, although I honestly think he might be a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo at this point, but... I just don't think it makes sense to pay this guy like he is a star when you have so much other talent and he's not playing for you even close to a star and he's not out there on the field for you most of the time. I mean, is there any reason that you see for them to hold on to Jimmy G? Do they really think that he's that much better than what they could get for $20 million less? None at all. And the you spit out the reason exactly. It gives you so much flexibility for the rest of your roster. Why have the Minnesota Vikings fallen so hard? Because they couldn't pay the guys that made them good. They handcuffed themselves to Kirk Cousins, and now you see the rest of their team is deteriorated, and Kirk was carried by that dominant defense when he got there, the same way Case Keenum was. And you took the words out of my mouth, Carson. You talk about the rookie deals and with dominant teams at the quarterback position. You throw out the Seahawks, I would throw out the Philadelphia Eagles. Strong in the trenches, a young rookie quarterback out of the same college as Trey Lance. You cannot... You cannot pay these top-end guys with all the stars on this team if you were paying Jimmy Garoppolo all this money. This offseason, more than any other, it makes too much sense to just let him go. I think it's an easy decision. My only concern would be if maybe John Lynch writes this season from Jimmy G off as injury-riddled and says we only got to see a handful of games from him and he's a year removed from being our Super Bowl quarterback and we could have won that game, so do we just want to abandon him? But I just think you have to be pragmatic here and say... We don't even know if he's going to be able to stay on the field. And when he is out there, is he really that much better than what we can get elsewhere for so much cheaper? I lean no. So let's talk about one last guy here. For me, this is a guy who my opinion has sort of shifted on throughout this season. Not in any big way, but my answer might have changed from yes to no on this. 
Is he their long-term guy, Sam Darnold? Uh, I'm going to go with no here, uh, just because when you have two quarterbacks the caliber of Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence on the board, even if Trevor Lawrence doesn't come out of college, take Justin Fields. Don't even think about it. And the reason being is, look, I had my questions about Sam Darnold, and I still do out of college. He wasn't the most consistent quarterback. He turned the ball over a lot, and he still shows a lot of that in the NFL. So while you invested highly in him early on, go ahead. Take him to the curve. You let him take another option because Justin Fields, think about it. We just talked about the money situation. The Jets would save a ton of money that would leave them flexible for free agency and to make moves. Not only, though, with how Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson are changing the game of football right now, you were seeing where a quarterback carries an entire offense. I see a guy like Justin Fields in the same light that I think he can carry an offense the exact same way. I think he could lead your team in rushing. He could, well, obviously, if he's the starting quarterback, he's going to lead your team in passing as well. But I think he could lead you in total touchdowns. He's just that combination of mobility, IQ, the ability to read defenses, to throw down field. Justin Fields has all of the same intangible abilities as these two guys, so... It gives you cap flexibility. I, again, I just think it makes too much sense. I know it sucks that you invested so much in this guy, in Sam Darnold, early on, but see what you can get for him. If you can trade him for a second-round pick or maybe even a third-round pick, it's still a win in my eyes. You can go out and you can get an offensive lineman to pair alongside Mackay Becton and Fields, and you've got your offense for the future. Yeah, the thing that's tough with Darnold is he will always be inseparable from the nightmare situation that he has been brought into, but... I don't know what possible incentive he's given them to hold on to him because we've seen that he hasn't really progressed and he's probably having his worst year ever at this point through six starts, has thrown three touchdowns to six interceptions, 174 yards per game. I think that he still shows you real stretches of inaccuracy where he just misses throws that NFL quarterback should make. I think that he shows you bad decision-making with a certain degree of regularity and he's incredibly turnover-prone because of it. And so through basically... Two-plus seasons of starting from this guy. We've gotten 39 touchdowns to 34 interceptions, and I'm not asking him to propel the Jets to contention or something. That would be ridiculous, obviously. He's in, again, a terrible situation with a miserable low line a lack of weapons, a lack of a reliable run game. All of these things can be true, and yet we can still see his many deficiencies that I think are independent of that. And you made the key point. Darnold, I think, could find success somewhere else. I'm not writing that off. He might be a starting quarterback in this league. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. But when Trevor is coming and you are locked in on that number one pick right now, and it seems like it is yours for the taking at this point, I think that you have to bet on that. And Fields is not as sure of a thing. Obviously, he's not one of the greatest quarterback prospects ever like Trevor Lawrence is. But if you really think that Trevor Lawrence is going to avoid the draft, I still think that Fields is an option, and it's worth the chance because things aren't getting better with Darnold. He is not progressing how you would want to see from a guy, and when it comes to decision-making time, where you either have to pay him like a starting quarterback, or you can invest in a rookie who possibly has more potential, who is not going to you know, count against the cap as much, I will go with the rookie there, and I think that it's time to think for the future for this team, and can you see Darnold going somewhere else and succeeding as a starting guy? Or am I sort of alone in that thinking? Because he certainly hasn't been good, but obviously we saw that he was such an exceptional prospect at USC, and he still has the pocket composure and the arm talent, I think, to succeed somewhere. 
I think he just needs coaching in an offensive line. I think many people were quick to give Adam Gase the bill of QB whisperer uh, because of, I, I guess, what he did with what, Peyton Manning. Come on, guys. I, Sam Darnold with an offensive line where he's taught to read a defense, where he has weapons around him. And even you saw at the start of this season when him and Jamison Crowder were out there, they had a really good connection because he's a really good receiver. I just think situationally it has to be right for Darnold. He's got all the tools. He's got the arm. He moves well in the pocket. Uh, it's just got to be a, a team with a better offensive line. And maybe I can just go even more generally, just a better organization than the New York Jets. I agree. I think he needs more stability. I think he needs more talent around him. I think he needs better coaching. And yes, that is a lot to ask, but also many quarterbacks need that. If you're brought into a terrible situation, you may suck for reasons completely out of your control. And maybe you never fix it because these places can indelibly ruin you. And that just is unfortunate, but it's the reality of being a quarterback in the NFL when oftentimes teams picking at the top are completely incompetent. Okay, let's do another quarterback question here. Off of three straight losses, should the Chicago Bears make the switch back to Mitch Trubisky from Nick Foles? I would say no, just because we know what Mitch Trubisky gives you. He gives you an accuracy at the quarterback position. He's He gets frightened under pressure. He doesn't throw a great football, but... This is not to say that Nick Foles is some superhuman quarterback. I think a really good a comp for Nick Foles is he's Ryan Fitzpatrick, man. You plug him in off the bench, he'll do his thing for a couple weeks, and he can have his moments. But the real issue has been this Bears offense doesn't get started. Just last week against Tennessee, two late scorers that made that game look close against Tennessee. That game wasn't close. The Titans housed them. If Nick Foles wants to keep his job, they've just got to score early. You've got to get some first-half scores. It was the issue against Los Angeles, against New Orleans, and this last week, as I said, against Tennessee. More importantly, as this offense as a whole, this Bears defense has forced turnovers in six of their nine games, and yet Chicago still has a negative turnover differential because this offense does not stop giving the ball up. Again, I'll throw it back to this last week against Tennessee, a fumble recovery. Um by Desmond King, uh, the newly acquired uh, Tennessee Titan from the Los Angeles Chargers. I, I won't put it all on Nick Foles, and I think he gives you a better opportunity to win because he knows how to read defenses, and he has a better arm than Mitchell Trubisky. That being said, there are deeper issues with this offense. Offensive line-wise, holding on to the football, uh, not a really deep wide receiver staff. There are other issues at play here, but it's just a shame to see with a defense this talented, a playoff defense... You know what? A Super Bowl defense, in my opinion, here in Chicago is just being let down week in, week out by poor offensive play by everybody, not just Nick Foles. Who saw it coming, Logan? Who said it? Was it me? It was me. You, Carson Breber. Yeah, thank you. I like to get as much credit as I possibly can for every take that I get right. I think that this is a tough one because the Foles experiment definitely has not gone particularly well since that magical, very Folesian comeback against the Falcons. The Bears are 2-4. and four. He's thrown seven touchdowns to six interceptions. And I personally would stick with him just because I don't think that Trubisky is measurably better. Now there are trade-offs. Trubisky's probably going to turn the ball over less. He's got a little bit less of that gunslinger, try-to-make-crazy-plays-happen instinct. But... Both of these guys are going to have their issues dealing with this battle line because maybe you think Trubisky can make more plays with his leg to compensate for the lack of time. But also, Foles is getting the ball out quicker. His average time to throw is 2.49 seconds to Trubisky's 2.9. So, there are trade-offs with both these guys. They are both, in the scheme of things, as far as starting quarterback goes, pretty bad. And so, personally, if you want to maintain continuity, 
I would probably go with Foles just because at this point you're over halfway through the season. As wrong as things have gone lately, you are still in a reasonable position to try to make a playoff push. And I think there is a higher ceiling for this team with Nick Foles at the helm because he's got more of a gamer attitude. He can make more throws that'll go out there and win you a game. And he can occasionally be the driving force in a win. He also debatably might be more likely to be the driving force in a loss because he turns the ball over three times in a situation where Trubisky probably wouldn't. But I don't know. I think it comes down to whoever the organization has more faith in. It seems like that is Foles because they committed to him and it seems like they were sort of fed up with Trubisky. I wouldn't hate if they went back, but it would be a little weird because then to me, it sort of seems like you're just trying to have a sense of false hope wherever you can get it. Like, Trubisky wasn't good enough. So then you got this false hope from Nick Foles, who was suddenly going to come in and inject this spirit into your franchise. And then Foles wasn't good enough. And so now you're going to go back to Trubisky, who's suddenly going to bring some more optimism because now things aren't going well with Foles at the helm. I think the reality is just you have two bad quarterbacks and it doesn't really matter all that much you have out there. Okay. Let's move on to a different big question that we have this week. Coming off of a very jarring game in which the New Orleans Saints completely thrashed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers They are now suddenly in a race for the division that feels more real than it did a week ago. Even though it was only a half game in the Bucs' favor, now it's a half game in the Saints' favor as the Saints actually top the NFC. It didn't feel like we were viewing them in the same realm as far as their caliber as teams. And now the Saints have edged ahead. They have completely obliterated the Bucs and they're 2-0 against them on the season. So who do you see actually winning this division when all is said and done? So I'm going to stick with the Saints, and uh, I picked the Saints to win the Super Bowl um, in my preseason predictions. Also, a little little tactic of mine. You know, if I pick multiple teams to win the Super Bowl, I can just brag on any of them, uh, whichever yeah. one comes out on top. <laughs> You've got at least four at this point, basically, because you have Steelers, Bills, Saints, and then if the Chiefs win, you can just say, well, I said they were the best team all along. You've really got your bases covered here, man. Yeah, you know, I played this one well. Um- <laughs> and the Bucks, maybe? That's what we do here at Nerd Sesh. We hedge our bets. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stick with the Saints for the rest of the year, though, just because I've seen both of these teams have been horribly inconsistent. They The Saints team did lose to the Raiders, and they did lose to the Packers, and they have not had really any convincing win on this season outside of this dominating performance against Tampa Bay. That being said... Tampa Bay has still been extremely inconsistent this season. That loss to the Saints opening night, they get thrashed by New Orleans, but uh, they also lose to Chicago because of some porous offensive line play, but they demolish Aaron Rodgers' Green Bay Packers and John Gruden's Raiders. Neither of these teams make much sense. That being said, I have a little more faith in New Orleans just because I know that Sean Payton And here's something that I noted on Run It Up last night. Bruce Arians has never beaten Sean Payton head-to-head, and that goes back to his head coaching days in Arizona when they battled. Sean Payton is just a gamer, and I have more confidence in the duo of Drew Brees and Sean Payton with a dynamic offense that has shown up every single week. Yes, they they lost games to the Raiders and Packers, but they have put up points consistently. And as Carson Breber has taught me on Nerd Sesh this season— The defense in the NFL does not matter. It's all about who can put up points more. I know the Buccaneers have weapons, but Bruce Arians has just has such an inconsistent record coaching-wise on the offensive side of the football. There are weeks where the Bucs have just not shown up. I can count on New Orleans every single week, and with how they handled these weapons on the defensive side, you've seen a step up in their defensive line with Trey Hendrickson. You've seen a step up on this backside with an old Malcolm Jenkins. I just have more confidence in 
the veteran leadership on the Saints, and they've played together longer. A lot of these new guys in Tampa Bay don't know the system. They just got here. Fournette, A.B., Gronk, Brady. Uh, the Saints have done it time and time again, so I'm going to stick with them. So let me ask you, because the Saints, I don't believe, were not in your top 10 power rankings a week ago. And this is a team that had just beaten the Bears and Chargers in overtime in very unconvincing fashion, went down to the wire versus the Panthers. This was just over their last few games. So are you suddenly really that convinced, or is this more just a product of the fact that I think we are going to get maybe the most flawed Super Bowl team ever out of the NFC this year because no matter who it is, there's going to be some glaring issues. It's just after this beatdown to Tampa Bay. That it's really what it comes down to. I didn't think that I didn't think you could do this to a Tom Brady led team with Mike Evans, with Chris How the I'm not gonna curse because we are live on Blaze Radio right now. Uh but how does a team with this many weapons you score three points? And Peyton T. Gallagher has pointed this out to me uh, last night too. I don't ever see the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't ever see the New Orleans Saints. I don't see the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Buffalo Bills. I don't ever see them putting up three points in a single football game. And that is what makes me high on the Saints. And Carson, I do think you're exactly right. I think whatever team comes out of the NFC, if it's the Seahawks, um, if it's Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's offensive line hinders them, Seahawks' defense hold them back. What is the flaw in New Orleans then, in your opinion? Well, Again, I don't want to get too high on this team based on what we saw this past week because they had been completely unconvincing through seven weeks of football and then they had one dominant performance and they exposed some real flaws in this Bucks team because I think that we've seen the Saints pass rush come alive a little bit led by Trey Hendrickson who as you mentioned has been fantastic and Cam Jordan and when you bring pressure on, Tam on Tom Brady there can be real problems there but I still look at the Bucs and see a top three defense in football with maybe the best weapons and a quarterback who I prefer. So maybe the Saints don't have the same fatal flaw as some of these other teams like the Seahawks who can't stop anybody or like the Bucs who seem that they have this ability to collapse. Although I don't want to overreact because this is one football game. But with the Saints, I just don't see quite the same ceiling. I don't think that Breeze is really playing at that high of a level right now. He's had moments, but I think that we see time and again that he just can't make throws that so many other guys can. And if he didn't have the weapons around him and the infrastructure, I don't think he would be a very successful NFL quarterback at this point in his career. But he does. This is a good offense. It is a defense that is certainly trending upwards, and I guess you would say is above average. But are they exceptional on either end of the ball, in my opinion? Not really. And when I look at the Bucs, I just think they've been the more convincing, better two-way team. I don't even know what to take away from this game from Tom Brady and the Bucs because it was so strange when you have Brady throw a pick on a screen that is deflected and batted into another D lineman's hand, when you have him overthrow a receiver by 10 yards, when you have him throw his third interception as an absolute duck off his back foot just because the game is basically over. I don't know what to make of that. That to me is almost in the write-off category because it just doesn't make sense. Now, again, there are real things that we saw. If you bring pressure, they will struggle. But I don't think that the Saints are a 35-point better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're laughing at me. I'm not... My point is not that this game did not show us real flaws with the Bucs. But my point is, does it cancel out all the incredible things they had done over the past few weeks where they completely dominated teams on both ends like we haven't seen another team do in football this year? I don't necessarily think so. 
And it depends on matchups at the end of the day, but these teams have very similar schedules, which I think is an important component of this conversation. They should both only be the underdog in one more game each because they both play the Chiefs. But outside of that, it's kind of a patsy road. So if they're both probably going to get to 12 wins or whatever, I just think the Bucs are still the better football team. The Saints, Logan, we were not thinking of this way a week ago, and I don't want to flip my opinion on a team like that in one week. All I'm laughing at is the fact that you can point to Drew Brees and his throwing his throwing issues with going down the field this season, but you acknowledge that Tom Brady threw two of the worst ducks I've seen this season, and you're like, ah, we can write him off. Let's, let's not worry about it. But that's not characteristic of how he's played as a whole. Like, that was just insane. Yes, it has! Not really. He's had some pretty solid success throwing the ball downfield. I mean... Specifically to this season, I'm talking about when pass rush gets to Tom Brady, when when that pass rush drives home, when he is forced to make quick decisions, he has been horrible this year. No, I completely agree with the pass rush, and that is going to be an issue for him long term. But my point is, that's not his arm necessarily, I don't think. I just think that he's struggling against that. Like, he's performed pretty well throwing deep balls this year. Okay, no, I understand. I get what you're saying. You're saying that Breeze's arm, okay, we're on the same page. I just didn't want, look, man, as a Steeler fan, and Tom Brady kicked our tail in the playoffs every single year, I got to get one. When Tom Brady throws up some ducks, they mean something. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it with me. Yeah, but he was doing this last year too, and he held on and was the quarterback of a team that, yes, I mean, he kind of killed him in the playoffs, but a 12-win team that had a historic defense and whatnot. But I just think that this Bucks team is all around better still to this day than, than the Saints, and I stand by that even after what we saw this past week, which was absolutely jarring. Okay, Logan, another question for you. As we sort of start to shape up and head towards the playoffs— we may have another unforeseen wrench thrown into this, which could be that there might be an extra playoff team still from each conference if the NBA, if the NFL can't play out its full schedule because they shared that they would actually make it eight teams from each conference if that were the case. But currently, as it stands, with the seven prescribed playoff spots, what team currently in the playoff picture do you think is most likely to miss it by the end of the season? This pains me to say, Carson. I'm taking out my Los Angeles Rams. If, if, if I got to pick one, it's tough. Now, th- this came down to the Rams and the Miami Dolphins. Honestly, I have been so impressed by what the Dolphins have done defensively. Emmanuel Ogba has really stepped up his game, and I know this pains you to hear, Carson. Shaq Lawson has also been playing some pretty decent football down there in Miami. Um, they've gotten great players from their linebackers. Andrew Van Ginkle getting after the quarterback. Jerome Baker and Kyle Van Noy playing all over the field and making tackles. They've got two of the best cornerbacks in the game in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. They've played elite this season. So, personally, overall, I know that the Los Angeles Rams have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. I like the Miami Dolphins defense a little better. Now, that does come with Tua's concerns, but with how Tua has played, I've got to lean towards the Dolphins just because I have seen this Los Angeles Rams team come out and put up duds. Not only this loss against the Dolphins last week, they lost to the beat-up San Francisco 49ers. They put up 17 against the Giants. And yeah, I'm flipping this on its head, but uh, the Rams have been underwhelming and I'm selling all of my stock. This offense turns the ball over too much for them to find success. Even with how awesome this defense has been this year, they're in the toughest division in football. They've got games against the Seahawks. Cardinals and 49ers coming up. They play the Seahawks twice, the Cardinals twice, the Niners again. They already lost to the beat-up Niners once. It could happen again. I just think 
The Rams have got a really tough backside of this schedule. Their offense has not shown up in games, and the Dolphins have been on a hot streak. So I'm out on the Los Angeles Rams. I think the schedule is a huge component in this because they also play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So to me, they're probably the inferior team in five of their last eight games, which is definitely concerning. And I want to say them because of that, but I just have so little faith in the rest of the competition in the NFC, particularly the Chicago Bears, because they are the ones in the position to jump into this spot only a half game back. But even with the fourth easiest schedule remaining, which is what they have, I just don't think they're a lock to beat anybody. I would be 0% surprised if the Texans beat them, if the Vikings beat them, if the Lions beat them. And these are all games that they have on their schedule that you look at and think, that's a football team that isn't very good. That should be a win. I just don't think that's the case with an offense that is this inept. So I thought about the Rams. I'm not going to go with them. I'm going to look at the AFC. And I'm interested in what you think of this, Logan. Not my final selection, but I thought long and hard about the Tennessee Titans for this because sitting at 6-3, and three, they are very much trending in the wrong direction. And it's not getting easier for them immediately. They have the Ravens and Colts over the next two weeks. I think they lose both of those games. Then they play the Cleveland Browns. Both of these teams have shown very different levels of play in individual games in these seasons, so I don't really know what to predict from either of them, but that could be a loss reasonably. And then they would still have the Packers, Lions, and Texans to go. I could see them losing any of those games. So I think it's very likely that we see the Titans finish at 9-7. and seven. I think that's probably good enough to get you in to the AFC playoffs this year. So I don't know. I really thought about them, but unfortunately, my official selection will be the Oakland Raiders because even though we can criticize the fact that the Titans defense has dropped off lately and that Tannehill clearly has not been playing at the level that we came honestly accustomed to from him because he was playing so well for a long stretch, the Raiders defense truly sucks. And I can be the pro offense guy all I want, but is this a truly elite offense or is it a good offense? I think it's a good offense, maybe even a very good offense. When you're 30th in DVOA, it becomes hard to compensate for that because my point with, say, the Seahawks is if you can put up 34 points a game, it doesn't matter what you let up on the other end. If you're putting up 27 points a game or 28 points a game like the Raiders are likely to do, then it kind of does matter because you can reasonably let up 30. You're not going to let up 35 every single week. So the counter to this would be they do have a very easy schedule remaining, but they do still have the Chiefs, the Colts, and the Dolphins. And a little bit like what I said about the Bears, this Raiders team has... The Falcons, the Chargers, the Broncos, not great teams, but not walkovers. And I think we saw they very nearly lost to the Chargers this past week. And that's a team that has started to play better. The Falcons have started to play better. The Broncos have started to play better. So I did not consider the Dolphins. I think they are playing so well right now. And with their next four weeks, which is an incredibly easy stretch, they're shaping up to be nine and three, I think, unless maybe the Chargers can get them this week. And even then eight and four to me is their reasonable worst case scenario, unless they take a turn downward. So I don't think I can pick the Dolphins with the level they're playing at. I went Raiders, even though I like them, even though after week one or week two, maybe we both highlighted them as one of our favorite teams. Anyone else that you considered from either of these conferences? Yeah, I mean, I think I had to consider the Philadelphia Eagles just because how <laughs> how competitive uh, the division is this season. Uh, and, and I honestly, I've made this take so many times, but I'm still not out on the Washington football team, man. If Alex Smith threw for 300 yards last game, which really surprised me, I think he is going to win comeback player of the year. I think that... If Alex Smith doesn't throw those two late interceptions, the Washington football team wins that game. So uh, I'm not out on them either. I think the Eagles 
will probably win out, but I would give them a chance. I want to ask you one thing. I, I want to say, first off, we were talking about the Dolphins. I think Brian Flores is going to win Coach of the Year after these past couple weeks, and I want to give you the nod on that. Another hot Carson Brebber take that is hot and accurate. I want to ask you about the Raiders, though, more specifically. So I know Odell was out, and I know Nick Chubb was out, but holding the Browns to six points, that doesn't change your opinion whatsoever on the Raiders' defense at all? Not really in a way that is substantive, because I think that we have seven other games that tell us that this is a very flawed defense, and that is enough for me to say that that is going to be a long-term problem. I think they're a good football team, and maybe they still hold on to make the playoffs because they do have an easy path to get there schedule-wise, but they are flawed. And basically, one entire side of the ball is a flaw for them. Let's look on the flip side of the same question, Logan. Which team currently not in the playoff picture has the best chance to crash the party in your eyes? So I'm going to make the case for him, uh, Carson. I am, uh, I, if for you listening uh, on the podcast right now uh, and live on Blaze Radio, you cannot see. I just switched on to the Washington football team jersey. My throwback, Jason Campbell. So uh, I am going to make the case. I've been high on this team all year. They've got a smart head coach that has done this before. He knows how to will a team to the playoffs and riverboat Ron. Somehow, some way, with a horrible point differential, with a horrible 2-6 and six record, the Washington football team still sits at second in the NFC East. And I'm not out on them because with Week 17 against the Eagles coming up with yeah, this is, a, this is a really tough schedule, but they're against offenses that I think this team can stop. They play the Lions. I think they can get pressure home against Matthew Stafford and rattle him. They play the Bengals. I think they get pressure home against Joe Burrow and rattle him. They play the Cowboys. We all know how bad their offensive line is. There are winnable games here on this back schedule. There's also some lose, losable ones. I think they lose to the Steelers and the Seahawks. So that's two more games. That's two and eight, which means... This team has probably got to muster five or four wins in those other games, but I don't think it's out of the questions. With Alex Smith in, while I do think he has his limitations mobility-wise, I think he showed last week against New York against one of the toughest secondaries in the game. Yes, I know he threw two interceptions late. He carved him up for 300 yards and outside of those last few possessions in the fourth quarter, which, if you look at the tape, they're bad turnovers. They're just throws that Alex Smith shouldn't have made, and I don't think he makes them again. I think he got rattled by the pressures that they did get up front. Again, more importantly, though, with this football team and with this offense, I think they have got weapons that Alex Smith can rely on, and the X factor in this offense is Terry McLaurin. Alex Smith, captain checkdown, the perfect weapon you can give him as a guy who shakes all kinds of tacklers, who can juke anybody, who can spin out of middle linebackers. Terry McLaurin is a glitch. I think he is the He's If I want yards after the catch, I'm going Deontay Johnson or Terry McLaurin because they're just insane at breaking tackles. And then you've got a solid rushing attack in Antonio Gibson this season. I think the offensive limitations are there, but they still play in the NFC East. They still have got a lot of winnable games left on this schedule. And with the Eagles sitting at 3-4-1, the door is wide open. If this is a close race in Week 17, the football team can even these odds up with a win and sneak into the playoffs. So obviously their issue this entire season has been quarterback play and that holding back their offense because they're a team that's scoring 19 points a game. They are in a favorable position as far as maybe only having to get to seven wins or whatever. I think the Eagles are the better team with now one and a half games of margin for error as far as this division goes. So you think that Alex Smith is good enough to carry them to the promised land, if you will? I mean, with what I saw out of him in the Giants football game, yeah, the the Rams game scared me because they were getting pressure home the entire time he was on the field. I think he took like six sacks or something insane like that. But against the New York Giants, who, 
while they are deeply flawed in every other facet of their game in pass rush in not linebacker play their linebackers and corners are elite and with the way Alex Smith picked them apart I I haven't seen in a long time so I think that Alex Smith gave them a better chance to win over guys like Kyle Allen Dwayne Haskins and they managed to win a couple games with those guys under center so uh, also don't forget in week one we saw them take out the Eagles then too so yeah quarterback play has held them back but I do think Alex Smith a guy who's been in this position before to make this playoff push, I think he gives him a chance to do it. This was a pretty easy choice for me, and it's interesting because the playoff picture is so fluid right now where we have a few teams sitting at 5-3 and three on the AFC. Technically right now, the Miami Dolphins and the Cleveland Browns are the odd teams out, and the Raiders hold that 7th playoff spot, and the Titans are in the 6th spot. I think it has to be the Dolphins, though. They are, to me, the best AFC wildcard team besides the Baltimore Ravens. A plus 7.7 point differential. And as I mentioned earlier, their next four games are Chargers, Broncos, Jets, Bengals. And then they finish after a game against the Chiefs with Pats, Raiders, Bills. They could easily be an 11-win football team. And I think that the level that they're playing at on both ends right now, a truly special defense. The only thing that could potentially be holding them back in my eyes would be the quarterback play. But I think that we've seen enough from Tua that I am pretty reassured. And I think that as an all-around team, I have to go with them. I will make the case, though, for the Browns as well because they're 5-3 and three with Texans, Eagles, Jags, Giants, Jets remaining, Logan. You can do that all you want. You can't deny that they are playing three, probably the three worst teams in football in the Jags, Giants, and Jets still, along with the Texans and Eagles, who have been two very underwhelming teams this entire season. And Nick Chubb is returning, which makes this run game even more dominant. So I think that there's still a very real world in which they make it. And if we get eight playoff spots from each conference, which is hopefully not the case because hopefully we see a full season, but if that is the case, there is going to be one team to me in the AFC that is very clearly in the same team as the rest that just gets left out. So I'm interested in that. I want to just weirdly highlight one more NFC team very quickly. Even though they've sucked for most of this year and they're three and five right now, the Minnesota Vikings, I still think have something of a path because of the Rams' brutal schedule because I have no faith in the Bears and... Yes, they're 3-5, and five, but four of their losses are to current playoff teams. They're trending in the right direction after the Packers and Lions wins, and they have a four-game stretch of the Bears, Cowboys, Panthers, and Jags coming up, so they could finish that 7-5 and five depending on how well they play. Maybe it's not likely. Maybe they're 6-6, six and six and then they would have to finish strong, but if they can get to 9-7, and seven, I think that could maybe get you there in this NFC. Probably, actually. And more importantly, they have got two games against the Bears to catch up. You mentioned one. They also play uh, week 15 as well, which gives them a leg up over Chicago in getting that wild card spot. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say that they might be the better football team than Chicago, even though the Bears were 5-1 and one a few weeks ago. I think we've seen some of their tremendous flaws. Okay, let's break this up in a little bit of segmented fun here. Getting into a war tour where we'll hand out our awards to all of the studs from the previous week. I'm going to kick things off with the Tom Brady and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week award, which unsurprisingly goes to Tom Brady, who, after getting crushed 38-3, to throwing three interceptions, which we already talked about, he lost his jet skis in a tropical storm, so he is now becoming accustomed to the Florida lifestyle and just had to watch them drift away as a hurricane hit, so not a great week for the GOAT. 
My first award is the Two and a Half Men Rerun Award, and I'm giving that to the Washington football team for suffering yet another season-ending QB leg injury, this time to Kyle Allen on his ankle. With the history of Washington quarterbacks, Theismann, RG3, Alex Smith, now Kyle Allen, it just makes me feel like I've seen this episode before. Fun fact, if it's an episode of Two and a Half Men, Logan has seen it before. Huge Two and a Half Men fan. Guys, is a bunch of bunch of Two and a Half Men DVDs. Okay. As is a staple on this show, now I'm going to be giving out the Bobo the Clown Award, and this week it goes to the New England Patriots, who despite winning, were down 10 points going into the fourth quarter to the New York Jets, and now there was a quote from Bill Belichick where he wouldn't answer some question in a press conference and basically said, I think my record speaks for itself. Not now it doesn't. You guys suck, and you can rejoice over sneaking out a win against the Jets, but it doesn't mean anything. Enjoy being in the gutter. That's what I have to say. <laughs> my next award is the Casio Award, and we're giving that to Teddy Bridgewater for throwing two passes in the middle of the field on the final drive against the Kansas City Chiefs, burning precious time off the clock, which makes me think that Teddy, in fact, did not have a rolly on his wrist. He had the Casio Calculator watch. Super Bowl 13 Award goes to the Steelers for their epic victory over the Cowboys, reminiscent of these great teams of the 70s, the Cowboys led by Garrett Gilbert. The Steelers completely unable to score for a few quarters. Great game, instant classic. My final award is going to a former Steeler. It's the Antonio Clown Award. Obviously, I'm giving that to Antonio Brown for his emphatic debut against the New Orleans Saints, torching him for three catches and 31 yards. Everybody rejoice. Mr. Big Chest is back. So there it is. There's a war tour. We managed to include the word clown in two of our six this week, so hopefully we can improve upon that next week and get it up to an even three, half of them all. Okay. Let's get into our next segment, over-under. It's pretty simple. We set the over-under for a certain category in this week, and we pick one or the other. Let's start with Daniel Jones, one and a half turnovers versus the Eagles this week, over-under. This is the easiest one on the show today. I am clearly going to take the over a turnover, I believe, in every single game this far, and or except for this last week against the Washington football team. And I wanted to do some research. I wanted to find out how many of Daniel Jones's 22 career games has he not had a turnover? Two in two seasons, both against the Washington football team. Last season where he threw five touchdowns, no picks, and no fumbles. This last week, one touchdown, no interceptions, no fumbles. Uh, this is easy. Give me the over. I'm going to hit the over here as well. 14 turnovers in eight games. The Eagles, non-exceptional defense, not exceptional at forcing turnovers. They only have three interceptions on the year, but I think that their pass, race, pass rush is strong enough where they're going to put a little too much pressure on Danny Boy. He's going to get a little flustered. He's going to do something stupid. I don't think this one's quite as easy as you do, but I will go with the over. Panthers offense, over under 21 points versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week. Christian McCaffrey is out after suffering a shoulder injury last week, so I am going to take the under. Last time these two teams faced off, they only the Panthers only scored 17 points. Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater was hurried all day. He threw two interceptions. More importantly, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just got embarrassed. So I expect the Buccaneers' defense to come out hot and to hold Bridgewater and this offense, and I expect Tom Brady to put on a show with his offense and maybe drop 30 points. We agree on all fronts. I think that they showed the roadmap to making life hard on Teddy in this offense last time they faced, and they have something to prove. If the Bucks struggle in this game, then we are going to be having, having a different conversation entirely after next week because I am still pretty confident in that team's ability to be a contender. Okay, Logan, Joe Burrow, over under 275 yards passing versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
I am actually going to take the over here. I think with the, I expect the Bengals to be trailing all game, which means that Joe Burrow will be consistently throwing to get back in this game. The only caveat is if the Steelers are able to get their front seven home and get to Burrow, maybe knock him out of the game, or just slow him down and rush him to make passes. I think he could be over, he could be under 300, but considering that I expect them to be trailing with the Steelers secondary being a big question mark for this defense all season. I think Joe Burrow has a big game against Pittsburgh, a statement game over 300 yards. I understand where that's coming from. I'm going to take the under his average yards per game. 284 is over 275, but the Steelers on the other end are only allowing 214 yards per game through the air. And you made the argument for taking the over Burrow's going to be chucking them all day. They're going to be down and it's going to be a passing first offense, but I think this is going to be probably the hardest game of his young career. I think that we're looking at the best pass rush in football versus maybe the worst O-line, and I think that that is a nightmarish combination. So we've seen Burrow get a little bit more comfortable over these past couple weeks. He throws a hell of a ball. He's going to be a very good quarterback, but this is a pretty brutal matchup for him, so I'm going to take the under. I think that this is just a complete blowout, even though we've seen the Bengals be competitive in almost every game this year despite their record. Okay. DK Metcalf, over under 75 yards receiving versus Jalen Ramsey and the Rams. Uh, I'm going to take the over. He's got four games over 100 yards this season, three others over 90. He's only got one game under those mark, his two-catch 23-yard performance against the Cardinals. With how consistent this offense has moved and how solid the connection has been between Metcalf and Wilson, I think the over is the easiest lock outside of Daniel Jones this week. Yep, you said the stat. He's gone under 90 yards once all year. Almost doesn't matter who he's facing on the other end. The kind of physical tools that he has with the maybe most dynamic regular season quarterback throwing him the ball just as far as the volume with which they are passing. I think that that's a home run as far as the over. Let's go with another guy who's been an incredible dynamic star and has been so consistent as far as his production. Dalvin Cook over under 100 yards rushing versus the Chicago Bears. Uh, I'm going to take the over here as well. Chicago is allowing 125 rushing yards per game in their past three games, despite having a strong showing at the start of the season. With Mike Zimmer showing a complete lack of confidence in Kirk Cousins and a full commitment to the run game, Cook has ran it 52 times for 369 yards over the past two games. Um, despite Cook never having any big games against Chicago, I am going to take the over for this week. Seven games Dalvin Cook has played this year. He has 858 yards and 12 touchdowns on six yards per carry, averaging 123 a game and almost two touchdowns. I will hammer the over there as well. Nobody can stop him right now. And this Bears defense, as you mentioned, they're allowing 116 yards per game on the season. So I'm definitely going with that one. We have gone back to the half-win category here because we just can't help ourselves. Maybe we should make a pick'em category, but no, we're sticking with the over-under. Cleveland Browns, over-under a half-win versus the Houston Texans. I'm taking the under. I, I have zero faith in the Cleveland Browns to win any football game on their schedule, and I think this one especially. With a quarterback like Deshaun Watson back there, he's better than Baker Mayfield. He can keep this offense in the game no matter how many points the Cleveland Browns score because of how bad their defense is. He's still got wide receiver weapons despite how uh, poor this offense has looked at times. I do think, however, though, if... If they can run the ball, I think the Browns have a chance at winning this football game. That being said, I'm taking the better quarterback. I'm taking the Texans. I'm taking Deshaun Watson. Well, I will counter to you with the fact that the Texans still have not beaten a team other than the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Browns do have Nick Chubb coming back. I think that they established the run big time there. And as dynamic as 
Deshaun Watson is, and yes, he can carry his team to a win in any given week. I don't think that this Texans defense can stop the run on the other end, and I think that we see maybe Baker picks them apart with the play action because they have the run so well established. I think that we're just looking at a very different caliber of football team here, as out on the Browns as you may be. Let's go to our power rankings now. Very quickly, just name your teams 10 through 6, and then we'll talk a little more about the top 5, but who do you have 10 through 6? Uh, number 10, I have the Cardinals at 9. I have the Dolphins at 8. I have the Titans 7, the Bills, and at 6, the Green Bay Packers. Okay, I'll be honest. I might be more interested in your 10 through 6 than your top 5 then. Why are the <laughs> Titans still in there for you, and are the Colts in the top 5? Is that what I'm hearing? I actually made this before uh, the Thursday night football game. After seeing that, I'm probably subbing the Titans out. I'll bump the Dolphins to uh, 8. I'll bump the Cardinals to 9, and I'll put the Bucks at 10. Okay, so I have the Cardinals at 10, narrowly edging out the Dolphins. I talk about how much I think they're trending upwards, but the offensive firepower of the Cardinals because of Kyler, they just can't match. I have the Saints at 9, which maybe you want to push me on, but I just think... Their defense is playing well. Maybe they should be higher. I don't think that they're suddenly an elite team because of one week. I have the Colts at eight. Maybe the best defense in football, plus 7.2 point differential. Offensive ceiling is the only reason I can't have them higher. I have my Buffalo Bills at seven. I think that some people have gotten too high on them. Stephen A had them at two. They have moments of such brilliance, but they have others of just eh. And I do want to talk about them just a little bit more because they're so fascinating. They looked so bad for four straight weeks, and then they just looked awesome against the terrible defense in the Seahawks. They 100% go with Josh Allen as far as their ceiling. His first four games and this most recent one against the Seahawks, he has 19 total touchdowns to one interception, 348 passing yards per game. The middle four games, he had four touchdowns to four interceptions, 211 and a half yards per game. So this defense is flawed. This run game comes and goes and is certainly probably mediocre, I would say. So can I bet on Josh Allen being that great every single week? I cannot. And then at six, I have the Packers. They still have only beaten one good team in the Saints, and there's just something about it that I don't totally buy. I think Rodgers can be thrown off a little bit, even though he looks so comfortable for most of this year. Okay, let's get into the top five. Who do you have in the fifth spot? So number five, I've got the Saints, and yeah, I'm going to go ahead and overreact to this last game. This was a thrashing of a really good Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. I think they got outcoached by Sean Payton, and honestly, I was high on them before the season started. I know they haven't had any convincing wins, as we talked about earlier. That being said, Drew Brees and Sean Payton are consistent, and they've got a pretty average defense. I know they can score points with their weapons, Kamara and now Michael Thomas back. Um, yeah, I'm on the Saints. Uh, I'm on the Saints train for the back half of this season. I'm going to put their NFC counterpart, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, here at five. We saw some hideous stuff, but I still think that there's a world in which they end up as the best team in the NFC because of their defense. And when Brady is comfortable, he's been really good, and they have the weapons. So. Who do you have at number four? Number four, I've got the Seattle Seahawks. I still think there are some major concerns with this team. They are allowing a, uh, I believe they are allowing more points, uh, more passing yards on defense than Peyton Manning averaged during his record-breaking 2013 season. That doesn't make any sense. That I don't know how a team can continue winning games like that. That being said, this offense proves me wrong every week with Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. They are electric. Offense scores points, they win games. I am still high on the Seattle Seahawks, third number four. I have the Baltimore Ravens here. I think that they are the best non-true contender in some ways because I think of their offensive limitations when they aren't able to play their style of football if they go down early, but plus 10.6 point differential. Their two losses are to the Chiefs and the Steelers, probably the two best teams in football right now. They just crushed the Colts, and I think that their defense is so truly elite. 
I do have them behind a team like the Seahawks, though, who I have in my third spot because when you can score 34 points a game, when you have Russell Wilson at the helm, it almost doesn't matter what you have elsewhere. I just trust Russ to drive them to these big playoff wins more than I do the Ravens. I see a higher ceiling there, even though the Ravens are such a more talented roster. Who do you have at number three? I've got the Baltimore Ravens at three, and you just ran it down. Their defense is elite. I would say they have the second best overall defense in the NFL, only behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming off of a week where they shut down uh, Phillip Rivers in this Indianapolis offense, especially you see after Indianapolis has the capability to put up 30 points on a team like the Tennessee Titans. I know teams, I know people are not high on the Ravens after a loss to the Steelers, after losses to the Chiefs. I don't care. I know this defense has the capability with a right game plan to stop anybody any given Sunday. You mentioned the offensive limitations. That scares me for the playoffs, but for the rest of this regular season, I know the Baltimore Ravens are going to rack up some wins. So the top two teams are the same that they have been for quite some time. Despite a scary performance from the Steelers, I don't think there's any reason to move them outside of the top two. They are maybe the most complete two-way team in football. You can throw the Ravens in there as well. I just think the Steelers are slightly better offensively, and I trust their formula more. And then I have the Chiefs at number one. How do the top two shake out for you? Same here. I got Pittsburgh at two, and as long as Kansas City, as long as the Kansas City Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes under center, they're not going anywhere. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here today. I think that we are going to continue to be surprised by this NFL season. Maybe the Bills can keep up the level of play that they've been at. That would be fun, and maybe they'll prove Stephen A. right. I think that there's a number of crazy combinations you could have for these power rankings, and we kind of saw that today because we differed in a big way on a couple teams. So make sure that you go follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, on Instagram at nerd sesh. Go listen to our most recent NBA draft podcast where we talked about how we think the 2020 class will look in five years. We talked about the top 10 NBA teams of the 2010s this Monday. So just go out there and enjoy our content. We've got a bunch of it for you, but that will do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com.